Hello and welcome to episode 2 of Where There's a Will, There's a Burnham Way. My name is Will Jones and welcome back everyone. Thank you to all those who, who tuned into the first teaser episode last week. The support's been uh, been overwhelming to be honest with you. There's been over 500 uh, views and listens across all platforms. Uh, just on that 5 minute brief uh, brief episode alone which is which is incredible. So, you know, for especially for a startup. So, thank you so much and uh, for revisiting my little project this week uh, for the start of the full length episodes. So as a uh, as a general itinerary, we're going to address all things Bolton Wanderers from uh, from the last week. So keeping things relevant, uh, though I felt like it would be most appropriate to uh, to make this somewhat of a tribute to uh, to Sir Nat Lofthouse, uh, who uh, sadly passed ten years ago on Friday. Uh, so I thought, who better to join me as the first guest on Where There's a World There's a Burnham Way than uh, than the author of the uh, excellent biography Lofty, uh, dedicated to the man Lofthouse himself. Matt Clough, hi Matt, how are you doing? Thanks very much for coming on. I'm good, thank you mate, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to, to have you on and speak to you again following our chat on the on the Lion of Vienna podcast many moons ago. <laughs> Since that, you, you've been a huge supporter of this little project of mine and I know you've been a busy bee this week, uh, but I managed to, uh, I'm glad to have caught you at the tail end of the week to, to chat all things Wanderers and uh, of course primarily Sir Nat. Uh, before we get on to to Nat, though, we're gonna we're gonna start from Monday, if you don't mind, Matt. Um, I'm I'm hoping you've been paying attention, <laughs> as I'm sure you have. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll just get straight into it. So uh, I think we'll start with Luton Town of all clubs, uh, who recalled Peter Kioso on Monday. Not ideal for us. Uh, that sounds like a return could be on the cards towards the end of the month. And the transfer window. Uh, I'm sure you're as disappointed as me uh, to lose Peter for now, at least, Matt. Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because it, it sounded very much like um, Nathan Jones at Luton was was more than happy to, um, to to leave him with us, as it were. And then suddenly he was gone, and then he obviously didn't make the Luton squad yesterday. So who knows what's going to happen? I know I've, I've, yeah, there's been been rumours of Northampton kind of coming in for him, and maybe. Maybe a, a different experience is what they're after for him, but no, he, he played really well for us, and I think certainly if we're going to sort of persist with this, uh, the system with the wing bats, which Ian Everett seems to prefer, I, I you know, I, I don't think there's many wing, better wing backs in, in league too, Nicky. So no, not at all. He's definitely quite a versatile player, isn't he? He's kind of played a bit at full back, but at wing, but at wing back, even you know, he, he can really get up that right hand side. Um, you know, so I think it's definitely a shame to have lost him. Um, but I mean, we've got back up now, I suppose. I know there's Jack Hickman who's kind of waiting in the wings, and Gethin Jones played there yesterday. Um, amongst others, you know, who's been trying out there. Harry, obviously, Harry Brockbank's still in the squad. Uh, I think Ian Everett's still in the midst of still trying to find his best eleven, isn't he? Really, Matt. I'm, I'm not sure that that we've quite found our, you know, a, you know, a, a same eleven that we can start almost every week. Yeah, it's it's been a weird one. Um, obviously, there's, there's been the whole Tobias Phoenix uh, situation where you know there's been a lot of recrimination since he's left. Of who was a who was an Ian Everett signing? Who was a Tobias Phoenix signing? Who, you know, were, were they collaborating? Was there a bit of a the disconnect there, so there, there have been obviously some players who we signed in the summer. Um, I mean, Taft is one that kind of jumps out. Who you know signed in the summer looked pretty pretty okay for, yeah. for the start of the season, which albeit wasn't the, the most fantastic start of the season, but then just absolutely dropped and then dropped off the face of the earth. So it's um, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. There's definitely a, a fair bit of shuffling going on, and I think. 
there's you know if you're if you're making two loan signings and then they're both kind of making well you know you know getting into the uh, the squad for that match right, a couple of hours later it sort of tells all you need to know about how much shuffling's going on. Yeah, of course it doesn't. Say we've got a fair bit of depth in those uh, in those wing back positions. To say he's still bringing players in as well, such as like you said yesterday, it, it seems a little bit strange that we seem to have got almost three or four players in each of those positions, and he's not sure where each of them should play or in what order or whether they should play together. I mean, I can understand that it's difficult to find a uh, you know a winning formula, but I think it's hopefully sooner rather than later that we do. I know it's a little bit late down the line to even still be saying that now. Um, but I'm hoping once we do, we will kind of find a bit of a rhythm and get into it. But it's almost looking like, would you say this season's a bit of a write-off now? We've got to January, we're still sat 16th, 17th in the table, whatever it is. It's difficult to see a way out of it. I know it's quite tight on points still, but I wanted to get your take on it, Matt, really. Yeah, so I joined the Bush podcast with, uh, with Mark Niles. Not, not to promote another podcast. Or, or but, uh, <laughs> okay, I'll let you off. Friend of the podcast. I don't think he's actually on the podcast itself, but just, just afterwards we were talking and I was saying, you know, my, my take on it, and I, I'm normally the most pessimistic of fans, you know, pessimists are never disappointed, but... My my general take on it is you, if you look at some of our, our best performances this season, they have come against teams where you know that are playing really well. So you know you think Cambridge away where we should have won and they were I think second at the time. Cheltenham away where they were second at the time and we won. Uh, I mean even the, the first forty-five yesterday when okay it was only nil nil but you know Cheltenham was still going pretty well and we we. Playing off the block by all accounts, mm. and then you've got the, obviously the, 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 this consistent issue with falling behind, and you've had the two games where we've been three 0 down and got back to three all. And then just for me, I don't, I don't see how any of that is possible without there being some real, real quality there. Yeah. It, I, mean, I don't know if I'm just being way too optimistic, but it feels to me like. Uh, we're not too far away from everything clicking, and then you know it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest to you know if we were able to rack up five wins on the bounce or anything like that. And then, like you say, really, I think one of the advantages of being in League Two is there is no even the very best teams and indeed the very worst teams. There is not that massive drop in class you get in say like the Premier League where you got Sheffield United who are who are and very even. No, definitely. It's definitely a debate of whether your glass half full or half empty. I suppose it's it's difficult to know. And like you said, it's it's definitely not far away from clicking. I I feel like I get a wave of optimism about five minutes before every kickoff at the moment. It's just so difficult to tell. I don't think I've looked at the fixture calendar once this year and thought, oh, I think we might struggle there. But it seems like we did. We we managed to make a meal of it almost every time, and it's it's so frustrating when you look at the caliber of the opposition. And you know, yes, some of them are doing quite well, but you just feel like you look at these fixtures and you think near enough every single one of them is beatable and yet it's just not worked out for us that way and I know there's been a massive argument saying why do we feel so entitled to be winning these matches all we've done is been in free fall for the last 10 years what makes us so you know 
entitled to, to, to be doing so well this year. And I think it was just us being so optimistic that the only way was up. And it seems like, although it's not got any worse, it's kind of just stagnated a bit, hasn't it? philosophy we, we we almost accepted that it would take time but I think like you say the way that he went about it and said that there's no arguments we will be going for promotion I think everyone just bought into that and just assumed that that is what would happen I think the fact that it hasn't that's then starting to raise questions and and more than fairly I think everyone's entitled to have you know constructive uh, opinion to an extent I don't think there's any issues with with being critical at the minute because I think the, the, the more than you know open to it or at least they should be um you know both players and management because i just don't think they're doing it at the minute and there's there's no way i don't think that anyone can argue that they are particularly um yes we played well yesterday which we'll get onto in a little bit and i think that's perhaps the best we've played all season but i, can't, I just can't believe it's taken until january to kind of get to that point given not necessarily what we were promised but what we were sold i think Obviously, you know, 
I think, as well as some of the promotion, I think a lot of fans were, were very keen on this idea of, uh, you know, playing beautiful, free-flowing football, which I will, you know, absolutely, if you can, if you can do that and win, then they're fantastic. And I'm not, you know, going to say, let's just go back to lumping it Route 1, because I think with a manager like him, that you do have to buy into that philosophy. But, yeah, it's, it's just about striking that balance between kind of idealism and, and pragmatism, isn't it, really? Because, you know, you can only... You can keep going at something for so long with, you know, with this system or with certain players, and if it's just not going to get results, then there has to come a point where you have to look at things. And to be fair to me, I think he has done that in the last few weeks with, with uh, you know, tweaking the formation, going to a back forward. I think generally... Like I say, particularly the, the first 45 yesterday um, against Cheltenham was weird, weird. It's starting to look, to look like it's uh, bearing a bit of fruit. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. I think it is. It's certainly philosophy that you are buying into with with Everton. People are naturally going to lose belief over time if it doesn't pay off, and I think that's just slowly what's happening. And even though he has held his hands up in the last few weeks and tried to change things for the better, I think it it's he's struggling to make it show you know he almost doesn't know how to do it and he's running out of options and I think that that's what people are starting to get at that perhaps you know he doesn't know what else to try but then again I don't know if anyone else would would have the same you know effect or a different effect and that you know we'd be able to do any better and I think strangely you know some people are making the comparison to Keith Hill in that you know he's expecting us to to buy into what he believes and I think a lot of it is kind of uh, mind games to an extent as I know it has been mentioned a lot um, I mean I won't quite go as far as Keith Hill perhaps be at, bar that uh, that comment last night which again we'll get onto later about uh, about the dugout which did uh, did worry me a little bit I must admit but um, you know besides that it, it's difficult to to know really whether to whether to back him whether to not at this stage I mean are you in the ever in camp or you're in the ever out camp at the minute Matt? Yeah I'm, I'm still Definitely, and I think you know we we've had that many years of flux and chasing like we're either chasing promotion with as in the league one season or you know the first couple of seasons down the championship, or with that the relegation. And throughout the whole period, we've just been chopping and changing managers. And I, you know, I appreciate you can probably look at the situation now and think, right, we, we've got a, a good league two squad. I think if if everything was to fall into place, we could, you know, quite comfortably make a real run in the playoffs. Mm. So should we get rid of him? But for me, I'm not saying I'd, I'd rather stay in the league two with him and then potentially get out of him, out of it with without him. But I think the the stability that just keeping with the manager is going to bring is 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 worth almost kind of building slowly because if you look at um, I'm not looking Bill Parkinson at all like you know I, I generally think that as as kind of the uh, the opinion on, on Parkinson goes I think I'm probably one of the more positive people about this <laughs> yeah. but I think when we got promoted from from League One that was almost a classic case of kind of get, not getting promoted too soon but we kind of just got into the championship and just had absolutely no idea what to do. There was no kind of philosophy to, to build upon, if that makes sense. You know, we 
obviously stayed up most of on teeth with the great escape and then the next season, yeah, there was, there was just no we'd run out of our uh, our nine lives, so to speak. So I think it can't be a mistake, you know, I'd, I'd rather basically stay in League Two for another season, have a real foundation built up, you know, hopefully next season we can be looking at automatic yeah. if, you know, if that's not too ambitious rather than potentially scraping into the playoffs, scraping up on the last day of the season and then finding ourselves in League One way overmatched with a bunch of League Two players and not really much idea of, of how, to, how to go forward from there. I was just going to say, imagine if we did manage to miraculously get up this year, how we'd fare in League One next year, unless we were to, again, just rebuild. I just can't see it going well at all. I think you'd just be bottom of the table almost, Sheffield united S this year, derby S 2008, whatever it was. Yeah. I, I, I think, honestly, without being too critical, I think it would honestly be embarrassing, and I don't think that's too much of an overstatement. I just can't no, see us competing at League One. A big overhaul of, of players again, unfortunately. And really, if they had you know eighteen months to play with one another rather than just six more months, then you it, you would potentially feel a lot better about going into into a higher division with this group of players. But right now, you, you can't be cobbling half the team together kind of on a day following signings mm. and kind of new signings, and then yeah, be amazed if you do manage to get promotion what happens going into the next season. Yeah. We can't really afford to keep playing it by ear, can we? Because it just doesn't work. It, it's not going to last in the long term, I don't think, if you if that's all you're doing, changing it every week and just hoping that, that it'll work. It, it's got to be proven, hasn't it, at that point? And I just don't think it is at the minute. Um, but, I mean, to add salt to the wounds as well, obviously we, we signed Declan John, um, who's now out for a couple of weeks. It's obviously not as bad as first feared. Um, but even so, it's a loss, especially for for a new exciting signing. Um, nonetheless, we've, we've since brought in a backup, which you know we'll get on to later. But it's a shame that we haven't had him available to us from the off, isn't it, Matt? I think it, he was an exciting one that's that's kind of just hit the buff, buffers immediately. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the story of our season, isn't it? <laughs> you know, a lot, of, um, a lot of anticipation. And yeah, when he signed, it obviously came with some great reviews. Coming from Swansea as well, where they, they so that, that's a really good example of what we were just talking about. Actually, a club where even as they actually changed managers on their run up to, to being promoted to the Premier League last time around, and still to this day, they, they've had this philosophy around choosing a coach that sort of fits the club, fits the players, so you don't have to completely throw the, throw the baby out of the bathwater, so to speak, when you, know, you get a manager who doesn't know what to do with a bunch of players and basically decides his own, his own lot. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a real shame. Like I say, it, it sounded pretty bad when it, when it first got reported, but hopefully it's actually not as bad as first feared. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing what you can do. Yeah, we'll see with that. I mean, like you said, I'm definitely more encouraged by Ian Everett's recruitment as opposed to Tobias Phoenix, assuming that, you know, it is his signing. Uh, again, I could be completely wrong with that. And it's still in the dark, I think, who was who's, like you were saying earlier. It, it, it's just a game. And I think we are starting to see who it was based on, you know, the loan departures and, and the incoming signings that have been made on top of that or instead of those. Uh, it's just interesting to see that, you know, each and every time we're trying something completely different to perhaps what we expect. You know, Swansea under twenty ones. 
you know, what what's that based off? Who's he had that scouting from? And you just assume that, oh, yeah, well, they're, they're a lot higher in the divisions, but has he been playing first-team football? Is he ready for it? I don't know. I think it's difficult to, to you know, judge someone having not played a game and not seen them play. So I think we've just got to give him a fair crack at the whip once he's back. Um, so I'm hoping that isn't too long off now. I know we've got a break this week, haven't we, all week? So perhaps that's that gives an, another little bit of time. He's not missing that many games. Uh, and, you know, it'll only be Saturday, next Saturday, that he misses if if there's not another midweek game after that, which I'm, I don't know, Matt, do you know if there is one? Uh, so, yeah, like you said, there's, there's not a game this week, I don't think, and then I think we've got, we've got Tramley next week, yeah. and I think we've got Lansfield in midweek, right. which yeah. uh, that'll be a, a tough one, because Nigel Cross got them. Oh, of yeah, course, yeah. It's very tempting to look at an example like Hansfield where they've got a new manager in and suddenly they've shot right up the table. But yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with it at the moment. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, obviously, Declan John will only miss those two games, hopefully, yeah. uh, at the very most, providing that his injury doesn't get any worse if that's possible. But um, yeah, so to move in chronologically, we then obviously made the, the long trip to Exeter on Tuesday. I should stress that's not that's the club, not ourselves. Um, essential travel and whatnot in national lockdown before anyone thinks that uh, me and Matt decided to travel the length of the country and somehow managed to watch the match. Just a little disclaimer there for for anyone who, who thinks otherwise. Um, and uh, obviously that that match was it seemed to be the story of the last six weeks or so, doesn't it, Matt? I mean, you go one behind and then pull one back and look as if you can win it, win it the last five minutes. Just wasn't to be a point on the board at a time. It's not enough, is it, really, to get where we want to be? Yeah, I think that's, that is the sort of problem you, you, you're going to start seeing now and again. Same thing with yesterday's match, which I know we'll get on to, but you know, a one a one draw from Leicester, who are a decent side away from home Tuesday night, really long trip, all of those cliches. It's not actually a, a bad result on paper, but it just feels like now, kind of, it's it's almost win or bust every single game. Really, it's. it's it's got to happen soon if it, if it is going to happen for the season, basically. So, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a bad result. I think they generally play pretty well. Um, uh, I'm not too devastated by it, basically. Yeah. Yeah, no, it could have been worse, I suppose. And, that looked like a less winnable game than yesterday's, which I do promise we will get onto in just a second. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, the aftermath of that one on Wednesday, it was somewhat a quiet one, wasn't it? I mean, Thursday, somewhat you know, a, a little bit more active on social media, if you like. We won't touch on it too much. Obviously, there was a, an unwelcome return of a, of a face to social media. Um, you know, I think he'd been there in the background for a while, but his account was discovered by mm, a few eagle-eyed Wanderers fans. Matt, I think, you know, I'm referring to them. You know, we won't touch on that too long. I don't think it's the appropriate episode for it. Probably um, not. I think you need a separate, probably a separate series, probably a separate <laughs> to discuss that. To be honest, mate. Yeah, it was a, it was an interesting uh, career change there. But nevertheless, um, onto the, onto the contrary of, of those bad memories, they're quite the opposite. Um, let's get onto, onto the meat of the episode, shall we say? And uh, the reason I've dragged you away from your Sunday afternoon, Matt, to, uh, to talk about the one and only saying that Lofthouse, who, uh, as I briefly mentioned it earlier in the episode. Uh, passed away 10 years ago on Friday. Um, Matt, I'll let you take the floor on this, given
and giving you passage, uh, passing, uh, I'll get my words out eventually, passion for, for, for researching his life and, and subsequently writing the biography Lofty, all about the great man. I mean, can you put into words, if you've any left, uh, what that man means to our club, uh, you know, and the importance of him around around it in, in his playing days when he went upstairs and, and now as a legend looking down on us today? Absolutely, yeah, so, you know, I'm sure everyone listening won't already know the story pretty well, but, yeah, just he's just missed the bottom one, isn't he? sort of played for us from, from the age of, when he first signed when he was 14, played until he was uh, in his 35, I believe he, he was when he retired, and basically never left. He, you know, he, he coached us, he managed us, he was head scout, he was... Head of the hospitality, uh, eventually becoming club president along the way, club record goal scorer, I think four highest appearance in order, uh, captain of the club, two FA Cup finals, one FA Cup win, charity shield, England record goal scorer. Say, you know, ask anyone at the club who was around in the 80s and they'll all tell you without him the club goes bust financially because. Yeah, it was it was you know on the on the verge of going down to the forty last time um, in the eighties and yeah the club was in was in a real real mess um, not dissimilar to what we we had a couple of years ago really but yeah with, without him championing the uh, the lifeline uh, lottery most yeah most people reckon the club would have gone so yeah just. Um, We'll get another John Ginley, we'll get another JJ Kopcher, we'll get all of those people again. 
we'll have another generation of those. But I think for me, that always will stand alone. And I don't think anyone will ever come close to, to matching his legacy for Bolton. Definitely. I think when you look at some of the players we've had that stand out here, like you said, JJ and John McGinley and... You know, I don't know if you can put Kevin Davis in that bracket even. And you know, there's players who've been there as Stonewall legends, if you like. He will always remember Kevin Nolan, perhaps, but none of them match up to to the extent that you know that the the legacy that Nat Lofthouse leaves. And although I never had the pleasure of, of watching him play, seeing him, meeting him, or anything like that, it just sounds like he was a, he was a true club legend. And I know that term gets thrown around very loosely these days, but I think people need to recognise that. He was well and truly one both for club and country. Um, I don't think that can be can be you know underestimated in, in any any sense of the word. Um, you know, I just think he, he, he was the definition of a legend, and I don't think there's any other way to put it than that. Is there really, Matt? No, I completely agree. Like one, well, you know, I've been saying to people, and there, there are obviously there are some clubs in England bigger than Bolton, um, maybe one or two, not that many. But then there's obviously an awful lot of smaller clubs, and some of those smaller clubs, maybe they have one person who, who has done more for that club, but I don't think there's, there's any club bigger in the country that, that, that owes so much to one man. You know, even you know, clubs like Man United with Matt Busby or, or anyone, or Alex Ferguson or you know, Liverpool with Shankly or anyone like that, I think for, for what that meant to the team as a player and just as a, a talisman, a manager, a sort of a local lad, done good, all of that, I don't I don't think there's there's any club that can, can honestly say our, our top goal scorer, our best ever player, became England's top goal scorer while he played for us, then managed us, then coached us, then was our scout, then saved us from financial oblivion. And did it all with a smile on his face as well. I don't think there's there's a, a, a bigger club out there that could say that, and we can. So we're I think we're you know we're very lucky to to have someone like that in our history like that. Absolutely, someone who just loved the club so dearly, really was Mr. Bottom Wanderers. Um, I, I mean, I must admit, Matt, I, I, I listened to Mark Owls and, uh, and Henry Hewitt's The Buff and, and read your, your article with a byline on, uh, on the Bolton website, which uh, which I must admit is a dream of mine um, uh, as inspiration and somewhat homework for this episode, um, both of which were really enjoyable. Uh, great opportunities for you too, um, you know, even being quizzed on your knowledge of Amelia in the week. Um, you know, I, I, I did hear that and, uh, you know, I'm hoping that you won't have to repeat yourself too much today. Uh, but I think it can't be un- underestimated the integral part that that Sir Nat plays. You know, just in the history of our club in general. Uh, you know, the standouts, of course, as you mentioned, being the '58 final, the stand of the stadium named after him, and uh, the statue erected and unveiled in 2013. His legacy certainly lives on to this day. There's no doubt in that. Um, you know, with both ourselves being on the on the relatively younger side of the wondrous demographic, if there was if there was a way to describe Sir Nat to their fellow youngsters, Matt, you didn't have the pleasure of ever seeing him play or, or in and around the club like myself, uh, you know, or even just to jog the, the fond memories of those who did. What does that mean to us and why is it so important that we continue to remember him in this way? Is you know, I'm, I'm sure you'd be you'd be more than willing to encourage the listeners to have a read of your biography to, in order to do that. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I'll have to pass, you know, the one that I've got down to my children should uh, should anyone make the dreadful mistake of breeding with me. Um, but you know, uh, you know, to, to allow them to, to continue to understand what a real legend he is, um, you know, with the term being so so loosely used as I said these days. I think fellow wanderers need to need to realize that for generations to come. 
Yeah, I agree. I think the club and general fans do do a good job of, of kind of passing Nat's legacy along. Like, so that, for example, you know, it's for me, it just feels like it's just one of those things about Bolton Wanderers. You say Bolton Wanderers to someone who knows football, and they will say, you know, white shirts, Reebok Stadium, all black on, all beautiful, and and then they'll probably say Nat Lost House because he's he's just that. Uh, uh, synonymous with the club and I guess you know for like you just said there for, for kind of younger younger viewers I'd be tempted to sort of draw a line between him and someone like Harry Kane right now for for Spurs and for England and this is like this so I one of the people I interviewed for the book was Tommy Banks who again is another absolute cast iron legend for Bolton Wanderers and he, he said he uh, ever since Kane kind of came up and started making a name for himself he felt that he was very like uh, Nat in terms of play style in terms of kind of even just terms of sort of approach to the game like he, he obviously takes it seriously and he's, he's very passionate about it but he's, he's also you know he's quite happy to sort of have a laugh about it. He's, he's not one of these players who, he's, he's, you know, he's not got a malicious bone in his body. Obviously, I think Harry Kane has overtaken that on, on England goals now. Um, but it's obviously a very different era. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of, uh, if, if you need a, a potted example to, to explain to a five or six-year-old in that night, what was that like? Imagine Harry Kane playing for Bolton, but also Harry Kane playing for, playing for Bolton having worked down the lines for eight hours during World War Two and only being fifteen years old. That's where I'd start and then uh, go from there. Well I think that's a great example to be honest. I think if anyone was to be likened to him, I think you've actually hit the nail on the head with that. I can imagine Harry Kane being somewhat of a of a nat like player. Um I think that's a great example actually and I think another one of the ability for his, for Nat's legacy to be recognised, um, I think, and partially down to the great job that you've done of, of kind of drumming it into everyone's heads with your, with your book and what have you. It's, you know, on on social media the other week when we were talking about, you know, the top fifty bottom players ever, and and Nat, you know, it was it was the top every time, and I think you even mentioned it yourself that you were so proud that that he, he still you know attained that that thing. I don't think that'll ever change to be honest, but I think you certainly contributed to that. Um, you know, in, in allowing people to recognise what he did because there's so many fans now who, like you said, in, in Twitter Twitter world, if you like, that, that will have never seen that. You know, they don't know what he's like, but because they've read about him, because they know about him, you know, through various platforms and including yourselves, that that's the way that, that his legacy will live on. So I think you definitely play a crucial part in that. So, you know, I think we've got a, a lot of thanks to, to, to give to you for, for the time and effort you've put into allowing the, his legacy to live on. Um, I think I can, you know, act on on behalf of all Wanderers fans in saying that. So, uh, you know, I, I do, you know, we we all really appreciate the the work you put in and, and time you put into that, Matt. I know it must have taken you considerable amounts of uh, of time and days and what have you. I'm sure you don't really want to recollect how long it took you, but <laughs> no, that's really kind of you, mate. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, so I, I as I, I sort of said, as the book was coming out, I never set out to write a book about that. I just. I, I've always loved reading about football, um, but I think as part of it, you know, kind of not being so synonymous with the club, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I've intentionally avoided reading about him, but <laughs> like I, I kind of think I'd always assumed I knew the key points about his life because I grew up hearing about them being a Bolton fan. But 
I think, um, yeah, it was, it was when I sort of decided I was going to say, you know, that that's a bit odd. I should I should learn a bit more about him and realise there really wasn't that much out there about him, and that's that's really what got it all started. So, as as long as the book can help, you know, a few few other fans learn a bit more about Nat and what he was like, and you know the the de- even just the, the sort of di- the details of his career, because like like we've just done, it's it's very easy to sort of sum up you know, the goal totals and the, the things he won, but it's not until you, I mean, just like we're doing now with, you know, Exeter away and Cheltenham away. <laughs> it's quite the extreme. Um, we're, we're going over it with a fine-tooth comb and, you know, discussing Peter Kyoso, who's been with us for how, two or three months on loan and that kind of thing. I think to, to really get an appreciation of, of Nat and to bring him to life, it does help to really go through his story with a with a fine tooth comb and you know learn about how he he sort of he, he obviously got his break during World War Two and he, he he was obviously a fantastic player he really marked himself out as a talent and then had several years of of generally not of, of kind of struggling quite a bit uh, when when league football properly resumed and at one point he toyed with just quitting the whole game at one point he. He, he learned that Spurs, who were in Division 2, were interested in him, and he, he basically told the Bolton management he'd be potentially interested in going, just not, not out of any disloyalty to Bolton, but because he basically felt he was not up to the standard of League 1, that's uh, sorry, League 1, uh, the first division, and and felt like he could benefit from dropping down the division, and it's it's those things that I think really then, then make make his story come to life because sometimes it is you can just look at the goal numbers and just assume this guy was unbelievable from the get-go just scored you know never had a never questioned himself never had an injury just plowed on through and in some parts of his career it did feel like that he was just an absolute kind of unstoppable force but it took a lot of work to get there and I think when fans know more about that it gives them an even greater appreciation of the man. No, I'm I'm just sat looking at the the goal tally and, and everything you know, four hundred odd appearances, two hundred odd goals, and and obviously the one for for England too is, is the is the standout one. Obviously, you know, scored thirty goals in thirty three caps. That's it's quite an incredible achievement when you think about it. And I think if if you're ever going to try and tell a neutral about what that was like, or or even just educate you know younger Wanderers fans on it, I think that's the way to do it more than anything because. You look at the greats that have played for England, and you look at the numbers that they've collected. I mean, obviously Wayne Rooney retired from from football this week, and you know you look you look at the achievements that he made. But when you see thirty goals in thirty three appearances, who else is matching that? Really, it, it's just ridiculous. And you know, I, I don't think anyone these days could 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 live up to that. To be honest with you, and I think if if you're ever going to do that, then then that's the way to do it. It's literally just look at stats. And and that'll tell you just alone, even though you can't necessarily find footage of him playing anywhere. Uh, I think you've just got to appreciate what you're told nowadays. Um, you know, especially by the likes of yourself, just just how great he was. And you know, I think he, he does need to be appreciated more. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying that he's not at the minute, especially by ourselves, but just in, in the bigger picture. You know, when you talk about national heroes, I think he has to be included as one of them as as a national footballer at least, anyway. Um, yeah, I agree, and he was, he, was, he was included in the National Football Museum's like, inaugural induction uh, class when that got first, that was first founded. I think the, the, the point you raised about the, the England caps, like you say, it's an unbelievable record, but it is, it's, uh, it's a really interesting one because I think the, the 1950s in particular, 
really over a tough tough decade for for England, which is when Nat got all of his uh, all of his caps because he had a lot of you know advanced scouting and stuff like that just didn't exist. There was no you know you, you played the team that you met on you know on the day and there's a there's a good quote from that actually about sort of saying his his kind of preparation for for what match was coming up was generally. They, they, you know, he'd line up against the opposite team. He'd look, he'd look and see who had number five on his back, who was going to be the centre half that day, mm. and eye him up basically and try and figure out if he was going to be able to shoulder barge him or beat him in the air or stuff like that. So there was none of this kind of, you know, sent, you know, watching the first, the last five games of whatever team you were playing. But so you've got that today, which helps things, helps players, you know, rack up goals and that kind of thing. But you also. Um, the teams England were playing were generally of a very high standard. So if you go back much earlier than that, and so for example, the the guy who Nat uh, beat for the for the England all time record, a guy called Vivian Woodward, he scored. I, can't, I think he, he scored about thirty goals. I think, and I think twenty of them came in about five matches. And it was just when England were battering Austria and Hungary about ten nil every time they played them. So there was there was none of that. Yeah, the teams were a lot better, but there was none of the kind of advantages, the modern advantages of advanced scouting and you know luxurious hotels. So it was really in the 1950s you could make a case for for England players. It was almost the worst of both worlds because they were playing really good teams, but with none of the sort of preparation and anything like that that would you now associate with being an England player, which just makes that record even more impressive. No, definitely. Today, under such conditions, I think people underestimate what they actually had to go through. And like you said, he was obviously a minor originally and started at the age of 15 and what have you. People don't recognise the efforts that people go to to, to, to sort of achieve those, those kind of things back in the day that we that we never fortunately have to experience. But, um, you know, I think football is definitely a simpler game nowadays. I think the standard's completely different. And although it is incredibly high and incredibly difficult, you know, I don't think... We'd ever, you know, as a club, we we wouldn't, I don't think, compete with anyone at that level anymore. Um, you know, at least not for a few years anyway. But it, it, it's just way above what what we can ever imagine. I think it's so hard to to kind of put into words and well, I'm, as I'm sure you know, but you know, just to kind of picture what what that meant. Um, you know, and and how we went about it. it it's just a phenomenal thing, and I'm I think we're so lucky as a club to to have a Stonewall legend like that who we can. Who we can look up to and go, look, this is what this great man did. This is what you know our, our morals are. That's what we've got to, you know, work towards. That we we want to be another team who can achieve, you know, such such great stuff. And although you're never gonna have a having a, a standalone player who's going to manage that, I think you've just got to work towards knowing that, you know, Nat's looking down on you. You best do you. <laughs> you best do what you can because he he certainly did for the club and and went above and beyond for that. As I'm sure you'll agree. Yeah, I think that's a really nice way of putting it. It just as a, a kind of aspirational figure, it gives you know hopefully not not too many of the players are, uh, are feeling intimidated by playing for the, the, the club that Nat played for. But having having a player like that associated with the club, it I, I hope and generally we we see it quite often now with a lot of the players we've been signing, sort of saying you know, the main draw is the fact it's signed. Wanderers, you know, it's, it's a big deal, and I think that people like Nat are a, a big part of that. So just having having that kind of 
that sort of aspirational figure, like, you know, you, you are playing for the club that Lofthouse played for. So, you know, you, you have to you have to reach a certain level of um, achievement here. It's high expectations, and I think he will have always set that out to the players, you know, even in during his time. And I think if you're ever going to look towards someone and go, look, this is the player you need to be like, then you're always going to point to to Nat, aren't you? Really, I don't think there's anyone else who, who's even comparable in that aspect. And I think if there's anyone that's ever going to motivate you, and you know, have the inspirational powers that he does, then. You know, I, you know, look no further in that sense. I know that even John McGinley, who we consider as a as a relatively modern day legend, was considered you know uh, under his wing. Do you know, what I mean? he, he he spoke yeah. you know quite considerably at, at length about you know what what that meant to him and how much he helped him and what have you. And I know there's the odd odd clip of uh, of interviews of him and goals and what have you. But I, I it's. I think it's almost frustrating that we can't see more of what he did because I think that's what would allow people to to recognise. So I think we've just got to, you know, take the words for it nowadays and you know just look at the figures, look at the writings about him, and and just really respect what he did. Um, and I, I think that you know, I don't think Bottom fans underestimate that at all. It would just be nice for there to be to be more of a recognition, you know, beyond Bottom Wanderers. Um, but I think that's just. Typical us, isn't it? Really, <laughs> we're kind of yeah, cast by the wayside nowadays. But I think that's quite typical of a lot of football fans in general. I think you say about sort of wider recognition. I, I think generally the kind of Britain as a whole has not done a fantastic job of, of recognising footballers and, and what they mean to people. Um, so obviously, there's you know the fact that Matt was was never knighted. Um, but there's there's there are several footballers from from his day and age that you just have to wonder what more could they have done to get some recognition. And I think I mean it, it, it's in the news recently because Jimmy Greaves finally got a, an NBA, mm. and you just kind of you look at what he achieved in his career, and but there but for the grace of God he got he got injured during the '66 World Cup, and I mean Jeff Hurst has been knighted basically off the back of scoring the semi-final, scoring the hat-trick in the final. Mm-hmm. But Jimmy Greaves overall had a, a much kind of more decorated career for a variety of clubs and for England, and yet he's not being recognised. And uh, I, I realise this is, this is you know, on the risk of uh, going a bit too political, but <laughs> generally think, I mean, there's, there's sports out there which seem to seem to get a lot of recognition from uh, the higher-ups and governments and uh, the monarchy and all of that kind of thing. And I... I don't think football's one of them, and I think, ironically, it's, you know, again, I'm obviously, I'm a Bolton fan, I'm a football fan, I would take football over any other sport any day of the week, there's not a doubt in my mind, and I just think there's there's never been a, a sport that has has captured the imagination of so many millions of people in, in this country, so, but then again, I, I, I think, I don't think that would be particularly interested in, in honours like that. I think he was he was very he was very honoured when he got his uh, his OBE. Mm. But um, I think generally like what you mentioned there about John McGinley, he he I interviewed him for the book and he he very kindly contributed the forward. Yeah. And he just listening to, to him talk about that, that is the, the real testament to, to what he meant. You know, there's no there's no knighthood or honour that could could kind of repl- replicate what 
No. It means to have a club legend like John McGinley, who, by all rights, say, no, of my own that I'm a brilliant player, I'm a legend, deal with it, and no Bolton <laughs> would, would question it. Yeah. Um, but to, for him to, to kind of go so out of his way to, to basically give Nat all the credit in the world, really, for, for helping him develop and helping him deal with the, the, the expectations of playing for Bolton that we just talked about, that that is what that meant, and that's the kind of beyond the stats, beyond all the records and the, the the accolades. That's the kind of intangible quality that Nat has, which which is really important that that remains alive in his legacy, and and kind of the new generations can need to come to appreciate really, because it's it's all like I say, it's all well and good just looking at the goals record, but Nat meant so much more than just those goals. Yeah, and I think it's nice that he's obviously got that national level of recognition to an extent as well with him being the line of Vienna. It it's just so important that we have that, and I think I I get frustrated when you know I see people. It, it seems silly to compare him to a you know a, a soft cuddly lion that we have who stands outside the tunnel as the players come out nowadays. But when people just say, "Oh, look, it's a lion." there's so much more to it I know it's just a tribute but at the same time that there's meaning behind it and people need to realise that that's why and you know if people go oh well that it was the line of Vienna oh why is that you know people need to to look at it and and realise that there's more context to it and it's just a shame that I mean I I think it, it happens generally over time that you know these things become more and more distant further away but I think it's it's just so important that we have to keep that legacy going, and you know, like you said, John McGinley was, you know, talked so highly of him uh, as he did when I uh, when I spoke to him in the the Love Pod uh, episode one hundred, uh, where he likewise just just spoke so so strongly of that. Um, you know, I, we were so grateful for that likewise, and you know, I'm I'm sure you really really appreciated him doing the forward for you as well. Um, you know, I think he's obviously a wonderful character as well, but you know that there's no one who quite emulates that and. You know, I don't think ever will really, and I think that's that's perhaps a, a nice way to to round that little that little tribute to him off. I think you'd agree. Yeah, um, but yeah, just to kind of finish off the episode, if you like, um, you know, it's it's been a nice touch to to talk about that and whatever. And by no means are we just going to skip over that. But you know, there's obviously a bit of an elephant in the corner in terms of yesterday's game that I'm sure people want us to discuss as well. Um, but yeah, by no means are we kind of just glossing over the fact that Nat was such a legend. I think we've, we've spoken enough at length there to, to kind of try and inform and, and educate those who you know need to. I feel need need to know, you know what what he means to our club and what he means to us as fans, um, and you know what he should mean to what he should mean to to football in general. So uh, yeah, as I said, um, we we've kind of come full circle in that you know we we saw the the lineups yesterday. Um, back to Peter Kiel, so whatever he keeps coming up in this episode, I'm not really sure why. Um, it's hard that a bit, bit of a, a you know, a, a serious, uh, you know, comparison to go from him to Nat. But anyway, um, he didn't feature for for Luton yesterday. Um, I, obviously we know there was interest from Northampton, but Matt, are we hoping that that'll perhaps signal a return for for him? Um, I'm just hoping he doesn't go to waste. To be honest, uh, I, I know we could certainly do with him if. If Luton or Northampton couldn't, as we could, uh, we could do with an at Loft House as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd certainly take Kyoto back as, as I think most fans would. I think he's he's been been one of, uh, if not the outstanding player for the first half of the season. I know some fans would probably say that's not 
exactly saying very much, but I think, um, yeah, he, he was a very solid performer. He, he, I think he, he really gave us a view of what I think Edit was trying to achieve with his with, with the wing-back system, really, because, um, yeah, he was just that kind of dynamic in terms of getting forward and, and providing that option, really. And I think one of the sort of reasons why maybe it's not worked out so great is Edit's got this, this vision of, of how we want to play, but he's not quite had the personnel there to... To execute that, and I think by you know I I, I think Gethin Jones has done a, a really actually under the radar a very very good job this season. I I think he's been one of our best players. I think he is a slight uh, square peg in a round hole in that he's not a natural uh, wing back. He's he's very much a, a full a defensive minded full back who can you know get forward a bit. But I think he's he's quietly performed a, a very tricky role that's not his natural one quite well but yeah I think if, if we're being completely honest I think you know a big part of the system would be having Kyoso back on the right and a you know mirror image player on the left um, it's just obviously finding that player might be a bit tricky but like, like we said earlier it, you know based on yesterday it looks like we're sort of, we might be moving towards the back four in which case the the Gaffin Jones on the right, uh, combined with Isgrove, seemed to be quite a, a profitable partnership yesterday. Absolutely, I have to say Isgrove was an outstanding performer yesterday in the in the one one draw with Cheltenham. Uh, there was also the two new signings in there as well. Um, I, I won't attempt one of their names because uh, I think I'd just make a mess of it. Um, but I, I know there was the Jackson lad at, at left back who. You know, started a little bit hastily, but I think he grew into the game. I know he's only young, so I could kind of understand that. Um, but I, I mean, neither massively made a groundbreaking impact, though I think definitely helped, made us look a better football inside, as I said earlier, uh, than we have pretty much all season. Um, I'm, I'm sure you'll agree, Matt. It was a winnable game, and and I think T points dropped it is it would be the way to summarise it. Yeah, I think so. I think. Um... Obviously, there was the, the Doyle header, which was, you know, like, we, we obviously do have got line technology, but it looked like it was one of those where if you'd actually had the camera zoomed down on it like they do with the graphics, it, it can't have been more than a few millimetres from crossing the line. I think yesterday was perhaps one of, one of if not the first game of the season, where I think you might be looking a little bit at Owen Doyle and just wondering, had, it, had he been ever so slightly sharper, might we have won the game? Because I think, generally speaking, Owen Doyle this season, he's, he's done exactly what, what we brought him to do, which is score goals. And I, I don't recall before yesterday there being a match where you know you looked at it and think, had, had he stuck his chances away, you know, we, we would have won or we would have drawn. Um, but... I think it was certainly winnable had, uh, had Doyle taken those chances early in the first half. I think we absolutely dominated early on. Um, and it was just a shame that we, we obviously didn't go ahead. Um, I think that is just the, the consistent in, impact that we're, you know, or issue rather that, that we're having um, and, and that we 
you know, we we do quite well and we should be getting that first goal and then we always go one behind and then it always takes us one goal to, to, to go behind for us to actually start playing well. Um as it seemed that we that we did um yesterday. I mean, although it did take another than ten, fifteen minutes for us to, to get into the game. Obviously Doyle then did manage to get one eventually, although it's probably, you know, the most difficult one that he could have taken out of the lot. Um, but yeah, obviously we're grateful for that. And then obviously fa- last five minutes or so, we, we, we looked like we could have won it almost. It was just a shame that we didn't, because I think it was definitely a winnable game, as I said. Um, it, it's just frustrating, I think, that we're getting draws on the, on, on the board all the time, but it's just not enough to get us up the table. And I think we're quite just quite fortunate that the league isn't, kind of moving beyond us now you know the points tally aren't aren't totting up to to an extent where it's getting away from us uh, so much and I think I I don't know whether Ian Everett's a lucky man because of that or you know just whether we're we're at a a general mid-table standard and I don't really know what it is at the minute it's so hard to to summarise where we are because we're, we're just sat in limbo at the minute aren't we really Matt? Yeah, I think so. Like, like we mentioned earlier, I think one one of the upshots of playing in League Two is that it's it's rarer that you get a a really consistent group of teams just break away. So you think about the, the various teams that have been been kind of top or around top this season. Obviously, Newport looking pretty good, but you know Cambridge were up there; they've fallen away. Um, I mean, Cheltenham they they were very much up there, and then us beating them away has sort of derailed them a little bit and then on the flip side like we, we mentioned earlier teams like Mansfield who, who brought in Nigel Clough and are suddenly flying even South End because they looked absolutely dead and buried about 10 games ago and then yeah. I think they've been on sort of basically on playoff position form for the last 10 games so yeah. it's it's one of those and I do feel like like we mentioned at the very top of the episode I do feel like a few things can click for us if we can stop giving away sort of silly goals. I mean, yes, you, you can't really point the finger at Ever too much, in my opinion, because we, we played really well. We had chances we, we probably should have taken but didn't. And the goal we conceded, I mean, it, it's, it, you know, I've lost track of how many kind of weak goals we've conceded from corners. But yesterday was a prime example. You can see between the kind of when the ball was about halfway from the, pen, um, the corner spot to the, the penalty area, you could already see that something had gone completely wrong with, with the marking and there were there were Cheltenham players all over the place, completely unmarked, and obviously and then you've got Jilk sort of spilling the, the header when he perhaps should have held it. So it's 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 a difficult one to take, but it does feel like if those, if those little mistakes are, are sort of tightened up and we can get rid of those... And if we can start sort of really hitting the ground running and just, you know, taking taking the game to the other team rather than waiting to fall behind, like you say, before we start really playing, I, I don't see any reason why we couldn't rack up a go on a really good run. And then because of the nature of League Two, it doesn't take that much of a run to suddenly find yourselves, oh, you know, you're only only a couple of wins off playoff positions now. So, you know, maybe it's me being over-optimistic, but I, I still have, have faith that there's enough football left to be played this season that, that we could do something. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I, I, it will only take a couple of wins, amazingly. Um, I don't think we're far off at all. It would be nice for, for us to get up there. Um, I'm just struggling to see it happen at the minute. I don't know where it's going to come from, but I'm just hoping that we get a bit of luck and we cut out those you know, silly little mistakes and we can get up there. But 
Uh, obviously, fingers crossed for that. Anyway, um, uh, as a final talking point, then um, you know, before we went, I do have to ask you, Matt, about uh, about Ian Everett's explanation of uh, the change of dugout yesterday. I mean, you might not even have an opinion on it, but I'd just be interested to to see what what you have to think on it. Um, he's claiming it'd be a marginal advantage with with the away team being closer, usually to to both the linesmen and the referees' room t- to then be close to the linesmen. What, what do you make of that, if anything? To, to Matt joining me and, uh, and to all the listeners for, for the second episode of, of Weather's World is Burning Way. Matt, is there anything you'd like to plug? I have a sneaky suspicion that there is, uh, though I think it's all in honour of a great man who, who needs to be known about. Yeah, so, um, sure, if anyone's kind of, who's not read the book but who uh, is, uh, is interested in learning more about Matt, um, you can still get my biography, which is just called Lofty, uh, Matt Lofthouse England's line of the end. You can get it on Amazon and 
Uh, I think Waterstones in Bolton have still got plenty of copies if they're actually open at the moment, which I guess they, I think they are, because they're in the central shop. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all on Amazon and everything like that. And like Will mentioned earlier, I did a piece for the, the official site and I was on, um, I, I'm quoted in the Bolton News, their recent story about it as well. So yeah, and you know, and by all means, I'm on Twitter as well, so feel free to track me down with any uh, specific mastermind questions you want to ask me about that, and I'll do my best. Fantastic. Well, as you know, I'm Will Jones. I'm on Twitter at WI. L1J now, I think it is, it's the other way around, um, you know, reasons for that remain to be seen, um, and uh, you can obviously find the podcast on all the social media platforms you can think of, at WTAWTABW, and in terms of audio platforms, we are on Spotify, YouTube, Apple, Google, and SoundCloud, so you can find us all there every Sunday at 6 o'clock. So thank you very much for listening, and I'll catch you all next week on Sunday the 24th of January for the third episode of Where There's a Will, There's a Burnden Way. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye.